You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit OKLABeef.org, link below. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, host, back with another episode down in Warica, Oklahoma today. Um, please welcome to the podcast, uh, Oklahoma Hall of Famer, Cowgirl Hall of Famer, and many others I'm sure I'm forgetting, <laughs> uh, Terry Stewart Force. Thank you so much for inviting us to your uh, wonderful spot here. Good morning. Thank you all for coming. We're yeah. glad to have you. Thanks for the tour. Uh, obviously, we're sat, you know, in the... Um, I guess in in the hunting lodge now, right? Yes, sir. This is super new. The lodge. <laughs> it's a fantastic place. I hope many people listening get the opportunity to come down and hunt down here, uh, or even just to see it and buy some stuff from the pro shop. Get to eat, you know, some perfect dry aged meat that, that's from right here on the ranch. But we got so many stories that we're going to get to today. Um, I'm sure there's ones that we're going to miss, uh, but. Before we get into all of, you know, the backstory and how this ends up and how, you know, you get to where you're at today, let's start with the Hall of Fame, because that was probably recent. Was it 2020, 2021, right? I believe. 2021, during COVID. 2020. I have to look, I have to 20. double check because... 20. It was the, unfortunately, yes. it was the COVID year. No, sorry. it was really okay because really? I didn't have to appear anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I think it was, uh, no, it was awesome. I remember getting a email that said would you prefer to have this live or would you all like to do it oh virtual is perfect <laughs> i can stay at home and be fine so it was yeah. very good it was a huge honor what was it i mean where were you when you get that phone call how does it happen i mean it's a it's a huge huge deal and obviously your yes, connection sir. to the Oklahoma um, hall of fame building is is probably more than most so well, a little bit more probably yeah. but i was i think i just eaten dinner at noon and i got a phone call and was <clears throat> shocked, surprised. I thought they probably had dialed the wrong number, but um, 
very, very honored. I truthfully did not know what to say. I had, was not, it was nothing that was on my radar. Um, so it was a huge surprise. And you have family, your granddad is in my the My granddad's thing. in, yes, sir. Yeah. That is, he is kind of cool. It, that is super cool. <laughs> and I, I kind of little teased that a little bit just now, but obviously you have, you know, the building that the Oklahoma Hall of Fame in is part of family history for you. Yes, sir, it is. I grew, I visited my grandmother and my grandfather on the top floor and um, they had a penthouse, I guess is what you would call an apartment on the mm -hmm. top floor. And uh, we spent many weekends running up and down the stairs and playing on the elevators and the whole top side was just empty space and really cool thing was those roller chairs you could get them think those things rolling down there pretty fast and uh it was a lot of fun but that was uh my grandfather was responsible for building that mm -hmm. building so yeah beautiful lots of memories yes yeah. sir yeah. and there's i mean a lot of people have their weddings there now it's great for senior photos it's a beautiful building and uh i'm glad that the hall of fame is now in that building other than anywhere else yes sir it's pretty cool my grandmother was oh she was a workaholic but she i share one really funny story she um had a garden i kind of where the garden is today but it was behind the old garage and she grew a lot of flowers and vegetables back there and she always wore a big straw hat and a denim jacket with white cotton gloves and she hated trash and I think that's where I get mine she was out in the yard picking up trash and this was relayed by my daddy he's had a client coming in and he said Bobby can you not find anybody other than that old lady to pick up your trash and he goes well that's my mother so <laughs> I thought that was, I, every time I drive in there, I always think of my grandmother and how much she cared for the building and the outside and mm -hmm. brought back a, lot, back a lot of good memories. Yeah. Well, and, and talking of memories, you know, the, the desk that's behind you is also part of the family as yes, well. Yes, sir. And, and that, was that desk in the building? Too? No, sir. It was okay. not. Um, my grandfather, when he came from Texas, he got over here because he bought a life insurance company out of Muskogee, Oklahoma, and that happened to be Mid-Continent Life Insurance Company, but he hauled rock and did a lot of things other than that before he became, actually even taught school, but he um, bought that insurance company in Muskogee, lived there, and that was the desk he used in Muskogee. So yeah. it's really heavy. You do not want to move it. It has now found its final resting place. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's a, the great thing about, I think, when you guys, you know, finished this building was, you know, like, like you said, the, in the pro shop, the tin roof came from, you know, the, the, the original barn and Caddo, and there's a lot of history in, just in this building from family, which is it's a great reminder when you walk through here. We're all about family and history. This is, we are a generational ranch and family's extremely important to us. Heritage, heritage is extremely important to us. So anything we can do to incorporate that part of history in everything we do going forward, it's, it's really important to us. Yeah. So great segue. Thank you for leading into it. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, 1868. Yes, sir. That's a long time ago. It is. So, 50 some odd years ago. Yeah. So that was Caddo was the original yes, sir. spot. Um, right? My best history is my great, great, I believe, would be grandfather settled in Boggy Depot, came up from Fort Towson, mm -hmm. and then moved to what was at that time called the Redlands, which is just north of where our headquarters is in Caddo today. 
and settled there. And then his son, Robert Clayfreeney, again, Robert Clayfreeney, and there's a lot of those running around, um, had actually two families. And my grandmother was part of his second family. He married Josephine Baxter. And my grandmother was the only girl in that family. So he was Blue County District Judge um, at that point in time. And um, lots of history on that that unfortunately a lot of us didn't get recorded. But I have a cousin, Ellis Freeney, who did a really good job writing some books and things. So we do have a lot of it left, but there's unfortunately, as the generations go forward, if we don't talk about it, it's going to be lost. And so again, that's why everything is so critically important to us to remember it and tell stories and share that with our the next generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the one. Like history's great, but you've got to keep repeating it. You've got to keep talk, telling that story, right? Because the next generation comes along, they they don't know that. They don't you know, know and, and the people are so foreign to them. And times have changed so much. And you you talk about what happened and the things that I mean. When I was a kid, we still had party lines at Caddo, and now today people would look at you like you had fallen off the turnip wagon. A party line? What the heck is that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I mean, and I, and I don't think I'm as old as what, you know, a lot of the others, but it was all self-sufficient. We have, uh, they killed a lot of pigs back then, hogs. We even had a big pasture that was called the hog trap, concrete hog walla, so it was kind of uh, upper end, and uh, smokehouse is still there. Um, they had a milk shed, um, blacksmith shop, some of those pictures are here in here, and we've been able to kind of keep some of those buildings going, but a lot of them had deteriorated more. Oh, by the time it was time to kind of restore them, and it maybe wasn't that important at that time, but um, unfortunately, we've tried to have lost some of them, but we've been able to keep mm-hmm. quite a few of them. Yeah, I, I was asking Clay earlier, your son, I said, what is your earliest memory of, you know, of just family? And he, he said, the first thing he said was working. He said, that, <laughs> he said he's had a living wage here since he was 11 years old. Um, but obviously before then he was out working. What is your kind of, what, what comes to mind when, when you think of, you know, my earliest memories running around riding horses or just, you know, picking up trash, whatever it is what, for you, sure. what is that? Oh, I, we were very blessed to grow up in Caddo, mm-hmm. um, we had always had some really gentle gildings, and you know we had an old water trough that sat in the middle of the old round top barn, and we could go catch those gildings and climb on that water trough and go right off bareback. And um, there was a big creek, still is to this day, but it's grown up a lot now. And shoot, they'd just turn us loose, and we'd play in the creeks. And then, you know, I remember getting to go with mom and daddy a lot to not really sure what my vital role was, but, you know, gather bulls or mm-hmm. we didn't go to the rougher pastures, but um, lots of really, really good memories. Shot my first quail off Gobbler's Knob when I wasn't very old. I had a single shot shotgun and um, my both my parents were big wing hunters, so we didn't really get into the deer or anything like that much, but um, grew up learning to use a gun and riding horses, and I, that was all I ever wanted to do was be part of that ranch. 
Yeah. So from a very early young age, you realized Daddy that had me horseback is... when I was three months old. There is documentation, <laughs> pictures, and I don't think I ever wanted to get off. Yeah. A sense of freedom kind of on, on, on a horse? Oh, I... Um, it's everything to me. I'm yeah. not really sure. It's just always been so special. I have always loved everything about the about horses and we are really fortunate that daddy got into the quarter horse business my grandfather had horses my i mean they i was always told my early on they ran mules and horses for the cap mm -hmm. to sell to the army the cavalry whatever down in those bottoms but my grandfather actually liked arabians and he even had some saddlebreds and but was really quite the horseman as was my dad um, but Daddy got involved with quarter horses in the 50s, and it just, um, he gave us all a quote-unquote horse. This is yours, but really not on paper, but you can name it. And um, ironically, the mare that I picked out was a mare that ended up in the AQHA Hall of Fame at some point in time. And uh, Marguerite Henry had written some books, and Misty of Shinkatig was one of the big books back in early on and I wanted to call this mayor Misty and daddy said we're not calling her Misty so he came up with Miss T Stewart and she was supposedly mine although my name was never on her papers <laughs> but um, that was kind of my start in the horse business okay back then and I that's just it was I'm going to say with dang near an addiction but really funny I remember that uh, I Mom and I were waiting on Daddy to bring some bulls out of the corner down in the buffalo pasture, and supposedly I fell off, but I really think that mare bucked me off, truthfully, you know. I was four years old, so surely I would know better than my mom. But um, I didn't want to get back on, and she made me get back on and ride home. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do, but um, they made me continue to ride and I said that's your all's fault look what happened <laughs> I mean there was a shot right there you could have gotten me away from this but I don't think it would have held yeah, yeah Clay, Clay also said you, you still ride every day every and, day you know that that obviously is a huge part of your life every day I mean there's maybe a few I can't but it's if I I have to be honest with you when it's really really cold now I figured I paid my dues, and I may not get horseback those days. <laughs> you have a new jacket now, so maybe. I have a new jacket. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's awesome. You just turn up the speed, and it's heated. and So I may be riding every day, yeah. and I have heavy, my heavyweight long underwear, so yeah. it's, uh, so, I do. I really ahead. enjoy it. Yeah, so early early on, a early young age, you realize that horse, you know, being around horses, this, this gets me going, this, you know, gets the juices flowing and this is what I want to do. Was it at that time you thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? How do I make a business out of it? And do I follow the family business or is it, do I, what is that kind of journey then through then? Oh, I always knew I wanted to go home. I, okay. that was it. I mean, on, I didn't know how I was going to get there yeah. ever, but, um, after I graduated from Oklahoma State University with a degree in animal science, and I went up there, um, at that point in time, I think it wasn't okay for you to be as good as the men. You had to be better then, to be taken seriously. 
there's nothing wrong with that. I think so much today, just my little side trip, we've lost that desire to for excellence and to be the best you can be. And we've kind of settled for mediocrity. And I don't, that's never been a part of my family at all. Mm-hmm. So um, I came home and daddy offered me a job mainly to show the quarter horses, to get them on the road, to, you know, kind of promote them. And I took it at that time, um, thinking that was in my best interest. And so it really had, you know, learned to learned a lot because we were not going to be able to buy horses. We had to show what we raised, uh, promote what we raised. And some of them were good and some of them weren't so good. And so you learned uh, very humbling in a lot of ways, but we persevered and um, made a lot of good friends. I still have today. So it was a good thing, and I think God takes us on journeys that sometimes aren't always su- successful in our eyes, but extremely successful for the long run. And so I appreciated a lot of those years and um, didn't really have a lot of responsibility for specifically for the cow herd at that point in time. And Daddy had some different, he called them foremen at that time. And so I worked with them. and worked with the cattle, but always knew that, always knew that those, those horses, the mares specifically became a huge part of my life. And in fact, today we are still, our broodmare band is comprised of horses that are six, seven, and eight generations just like us. And it's something that's extremely I'm proud of and important for us is that we've developed that same legacy and heritage through our mare band. So even back in the 60s when I felt like that was really special, I think it, was, it wasn't something that I knew would happen by any matter of means, but I have a tie to that, those original mares just because I happened to be around them. Yeah. What did you go to school for at Oklahoma State? Animal science. Okay. I was an animal science production major. Yeah. And recently you have some awards from Oklahoma State. Is that right? You have some... Yeah, you've been recognized by Oklahoma State. Is that right? <laughs> yes, sir. But I can't even. I, I'm an. I guess uh, I was in the Oklahoma College of Agriculture, alumni of distinction, and then several through the animal science department. And I think probably the biggest award I have received up there was being recognized as a master breeder. Okay. That was. I get. That's pretty awesome. I think I. Not sure why, but yeah, well, <laughs> it was I, wonderful. <laughs> looking back to what you just mentioned, you know, like the legacy that you now have with you know the mere band that you you guys have developed here, that's why, right? Yes, You've sir, I, it is. Well. And um, Dr. Wagner was still there, and he felt very, he felt like I was very deserving of that, and I great deal of admiration for Dr. Wagner. And I thought if he, did, that's was a huge honor, a huge honor. Yeah. Looking back at, at the time at Oklahoma State and, you know, going to do your degree, was there any point at college that you thought, maybe I want to do, maybe there was something else I could have done? Like, never, if you look back, no one Never, bit. never waffled one bit. No? no so sir. Why, why, why even go to school if you knew exactly what you wanted to do? I don't think I was qualified. Okay. And I, one thing that um, I... I'm a firm believer that you have to prepare yourself for anything you do. I also am a firm believer that you have to start at the bottom. And I also believe that you don't ever ask anybody else to do anything that you aren't willing to do. 
So I had a lot to learn, a whole lot to learn. Um, and I thought that was a good place to start. The associations and friends I made at Oklahoma State University, invaluable. Still call a lot of them today. I'm not opposed to asking questions any way, shape, or form. Um, there's so much I don't know, and the more I learn, I truly, um, it fascinates me all that you can learn. And if you just ask questions and pay attention and so there's a lot of people I res highly respect and regard and a lot of those friendships were made at Oklahoma State so if I even if I forgot everything I learned up there I made so many good friends and I was extremely blessed to maybe have the best professors uh, Dr. Bob Tadashek was my beef production professor and he went on to become Department of Animal Science and Saddle and Sirloin Club, Dr. Walters, Dr. Noble, Dr. Crop, I mean, Dr. Wagner. I had the best of the best. Um, so we were really blessed. Mm -hmm. you, did you, was the, was the equestrian team there when no, you were there? No, sir. No? No, Dr. Hillier was still running the animal science department, okay. and horses were not on his radar <laughs> at all. But I, as I've gotten older, I've tried to help so much with the horse program, and doing things for the, the horse program. And um, we actually started an endowment in the name of my daddy um, for an operating fund because to me, you've got to be able to pay the insurance and the feed bill and the electricity and things like that. So we wanted to be able to help make sure they could keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we started an operating fund in daddy's name. Yeah, so you graduate. You're like, great, I'm not going home. I've got my degree. You know, I know it all sort of situation. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> How was that when you came then back to the ranch and, and you know, you, you like, dad, I got my degree. You know, yeah. I'm ready to go. Like, put me, put me to work. It was good. I mean, yeah. for a while, it was really good. It was really good till it wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, we had two big production sales down there, horse production sales. Um, we did a lot of really good things, but I kind of got... Daddy and I kind of got crossways, mm -hmm. and and probably, in all honesty, I, I think I made a comment. I don't know if he fired me or I quit, but whatever happened, I I was gone, and that was a huge blow. But in hindsight, I it was a good thing. It was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Totally, um, I. I probably did a lot of things that weren't as productive, mm -hmm. thinking I knew more than what I did. So I really think I was in over my head. Um, Daddy's always threw me to the wolves. There was no doubt in my mind. I've done the same thing with my kids in a lot of ways, but he was not a good teacher. And he really wasn't a very good delegator. And if you kind of missed the boat a little bit, you, it was, he was more of a devil's advocate, seems like, kind of. And I loved my daddy with all my heart, and I think I wanted to please him, and it just, it didn't always mm -hmm. come across that way, maybe. Yeah. Um, I needed a lot, I needed to grow up a little more, too. I mean, obviously, I had two kids, and I, you should, would think I would 
be grown up, but still had a lot of learning to do. Yeah. Did you come back from, from university with a whole bunch of new ideas and this is how things should be done? Or Not was really. it more of just, I just, just like I said, you know, needed, still needed to learn a lot of other stuff operationally rather than, hey, this is stuff in a textbook that I've just learned. Agreed. I, I mean, I never, I never really had that attitude. I, I'm not much of a person about I know everything because I'm pretty sure I don't. But I think I just, it was just communication. Okay. Um, our communication skills differed a lot, and I'm not a good communicator, and neither was he. And so I think that was part of our issues as much as anything. And... Um, just again, learning curves and yeah. things. He did. Uh, I ended up having to fire two of his quote unquote managers. <laughs> Boring, <laughs> because they were not doing things that I thought they needed to be. And so this is over. You know, it's over almost a ten year period. So yeah. it's not a lot of things. He was still um, depending on his managers rather than. And that way I could be free to go show horses and do a lot of things like that and wasn't responsible for the day-to-day -day operations. But it's really hard to watch people doing things that you don't agree with. So um, it, a lot of those kind of yeah. little things happened. So you, you step away for a little bit, right? You go away from the ranch. I do. Um, and, and through doing some research and listening to one of your previous podcasts you've done, you get into the real estate business? I actually did. Yeah. We left, uh -huh. um, I, the boys and I, and went to Nebraska for a little bit. And um, ended up in Dallas, Texas, because I needed a little help with my kids. And I mean, I'm really out of my element, <laughs> but I need a job. Yeah. <laughs> so I pursued... Uh, real estate, got my real estate license, went to work for a agent so I had, could have a salary and uh, learned a lot. I really did. I learned a lot of things I did not want to do, but you know, sometimes that's, that's as important. I really believe sometimes the learning isn't always about what you do or what you want to be, but you can learn a lot from people's mistakes or things that don't really fit in your wheelhouse. Yeah. So um, I learned a lot, worked really, really hard, um, kind of even moonlighted as a caterer. I had, you know, I did a lot of things and I still had some mares. Um, I had moved them someplace, but I had my, I did have my little band of mares still that I kept with me. And um, that, that was, Daddy had asked me to come back at, during some of that time. But back again to that learning curve, I was just being a little proud and I'm not going to do that and I can do this on my own type scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned obviously you still had your little band. I did. Mares, so obviously you're still involved. Very in, much. You know, that's never left you. Right? No, it's it never left me. I still had that. I wasn't getting to ride like I needed to or wanted to, mm -hmm. but I still had, still had that. And my mom had a place that we could go ride and we could be, I helped them move cattle, you know, work mm -hmm. cattle and do some things too during that intermit. It wasn't just totally, we left, trust me, we left Dallas every chance we could, <laughs> went somewhere, anywhere. Yeah. But again, it was a good learning experience. I'm not going to 
it wasn't what we wanted, but I do believe God puts things in our lives, as I said, for for certain reasons, and and so it was okay, you know. It's yeah. um, had I not done that, I may never have ended up at taste at TCU. And while we were there, I was, as I said, I was really out of my wheelhouse, looking for a way to come back. And I, if you listen to Ross's podcast, and you know this story, but. I'll just share it. Okay. So, because it is the biggest God wink I've ever had in my life. Um, I pick up the phone one day randomly and call TCU Ranch Management and talk to Mrs. Tarvin, asking her for an application. And she said, we'll get one in the mail. Shortly thereafter, John Merrill calls me and says, I've had a cancellation for an interview. Would you like to come over? So I interviewed before I applied. Um, By the 1st of January, I was accepted. This was probably in the fall. <clears throat> Told them I'd come. Have no idea how I'm going to pay for it. Have no idea where I'm going to put my kids. Don't have a clue where I'm going to live, but I'm going. And the pieces started falling together. I, back to my mares, um, I had three horses that I sold. One was Genuine Red Bud, who ended up being a super horse. And Tim McQuay bought I had four, actually. He bought three of my Hollywood Dunnett mares. And basically helped me pay my tuition. Um, we didn't have a place to live. My mom, as I said, was still living in Dallas, so we lived with had to live with her for a little bit, and drove uh, back and forth to Fort Worth. But I, but doing that, I couldn't put my kids in a public school. So, Mama helped me fund. Uh, play in a kindergarten class that had one place and Robert I found a daycare on the TCU campus one place yeah amazing and we found a place to rent thanks to my real estate connections it was just incredible the way the pieces came together and um, the boy's dad died that spring and John Merrill called and says, Terry, you don't need to be doing this. Hmm, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he might have been right, but yeah. I, he wasn't at all. And in our class, uh, Carr and Delisa Parrish uh, had just gotten married, and Delisa helped me keep the boys while we were on our field trips. And I also had another really close friend who lived in Cleburne, and she would help. Her son was the boy's age, and Sandy Vargo, and she helped me. Too. So it's God puts people in your lives, and it's just amazing. You just have to pay attention. But I got through it and um, decided that I was going to pursue a, a vocation in real estate appraisal. I didn't want to be a salesperson, um, but I love the appraisal part. I love putting plans together and. So I started on that route, and Daddy called me, and he'd found a, some country, which is this country over here, and he said, would you go look at it? And I did, and um, to make a long story short, he ended up purchasing it and asked me to put a management plan together for it and asked me to come back. And my pride had flown out the window by that time, and so I was all in. But on my terms, because if I could not do the job I wanted to do for him and make this ranch sustainable and profitable on its own, I wasn't going to stay. So you mentioned a bit earlier too about education and learning. 
why what you decided that hey i need i need to go to school i need to go to and tcu was the place to go to learn everything you needed or you felt like you needed to learn to maybe even if it wasn't coming back to the family ranch it was learning just because hey if i get an opportunity that's what i want to go do yes sir absolutely anywhere else and it and, didn't matter where at yeah, that time and you were developing you know your horses as well for people who don't know the horse side of developing what you do just no you don't have to dive into it deep but why did the gentleman buy the horses from you? What was the purpose for that? You know, it's, and, and I know it's not race horses, it's ranching horses, but dive into okay. that for people who don't understand, might not be listening that, you know, may just, hey, we see the S7 ranch everywhere or 7S ranch stuff, but we don't know what exactly you guys do okay. down here. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we have a horse program that has been, we've been very successful in the American Quarter Horse Association. We've been leading breeders in the American Quarter Horse Association. We have had a lot of our horses um, throughout the United States that have participated in a lot of different horse show events. We um, have always tried to have a versatile horse, and in other words, a horse that would compete in numerous events, not necessarily one discipline. And our industry has gotten so disciplined at this point in time where you raise a cow horse or you raise a cutter or you, you raise a horse for a specific discipline. Um, when we first started, you showed up at the horse show with one horse and showed in every class there was. And so that's how our philosophy developed and still believe to this day that we can produce horses like that. Um, a lot of the horses we've been very successful with in the show pen all go to work here. They've drug calves, they've made circles, they've doctored yearlings, they all have had a job other than that just the show pen. And so that's one thing we try to definitely capitalize on is our ranch horses are also our show horses and the fact that we show what we raise and our mares are the integral central part of our program so we breed to a lot of outside stallions we have certainly had stallions but more our program is really focused on our mares and our mares having multiple colts that are successful in many disciplines yeah so then get back to you come back to the you come back home right you, but at the time you don't this place you were not in Warica at that time is that no, right sir. No, so this we doesn't happen you get back in and this is how this is this is now happening 1990, yeah. 1992 I graduated from TCU and we mm -hmm. purchased this original place shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Adcock, who was with me at TCU, um, came to be our manager over here. So it was great. And Jay and I are still wonderful friends, and he is a member of the TCAA, tremendous braider. He's, we've all taken different paths, but it's been so much fun to come along together. But um, Jay and I started this over here together, and... Um, We've grown it, or Jay stayed for a while, and then Daddy purchased another small lake, or the middle part of the ranch before he passed away, and then I've been able to purchase the north part of the ranch yeah. over here in Jefferson County. So um, we've put, put together a really nice operation over here, still run the operation in Caddo. Um, 
We have one camp man over there, Brooks Bland. Brooks's mom and I went to school at Oklahoma State together. Really a family operation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it is great. It really is. Yeah. So how, how many acres do we have total now over both? Or to, just over everything you have? Less than 50, just a little less than 50. Close 50,000, 50, yeah. What was the vision then when buying this land and, and you know you then taking it over and developing it and saying to yourself, hey, I'm going to give myself a timeline. If I can't make this profitable, I'm going somewhere else. Yes, sir. Um, Daddy had been sending calves over here to uh, a ranch up around Belma for years to wheat pasture. And so this, the original part of the ranch had about less than a thousand acres of wheat ground in it and that was one thing that really kind of interested him and it was all in contiguous under one fence where a lot of country in Oklahoma is broken up into sections and um, county roads cross so much of it in Oklahoma but this there's nine sections just to the north of us right here that's under one fence the big downfall with this ranch there's no water there's no groundwater here. Um, when you find a well, which some of these old home places obviously had wells, the recharge is two, three gallons, four gallons a minute. So we are surface water dependent, and if God doesn't give it to us, we don't have any. So that is was one of the big downfalls here. Um, and it was, Daddy had a tin, some country down in South Texas where his father's family was all from, and we were able to do a 1031 exchange on this, and it worked out really, really good. The, um, the So that was probably the impetus to it. He he needed to do that 1031 exchange and the wheat ground. Mm -hmm. So we became farmers. And um, by the time we had part of this other part of this country, we were farming about 3,000 acres of wheat ground at one point in time. Yeah. So we've had a little experience there, too. <laughs> And, and as well, for people who generally don't know the farming and ranching business, you, you talked a little bit earlier about just day-to-day -day operations. What does that look like? Well, most of it's so related to the time of year. And we, we, are, we calve spring and fall. We have two herds of cattle. And so we're pretty much busy the whole year round. We do, uh, I'm breeding about 55 mares. So I do handle all the breeding with Dr. Clark myself. And so that'll start around the 15th of April. And so depending on what time of year, this time of year we're feeding, we're riding colts, we've got all of our two-year-olds started. And so we've got a group that's Robert and two of uh, two young men are ride colts. Uh, we still train horses for our sales and also to show and we sell a lot of Colts private treaty and one thing we started last year was having an online sale in September we'll have another one in really a little bit earlier this year in August so all those things go together you met Clay and he runs the outfitting division so that's going on um, we all have specific places that we fit the best here but again, once our spring or fall works start, everybody that can go horseback goes. Um, we have a group of everybody here can brand K. I mean, can work in the Brandon pen and uh, make a circle, rope in the pasture. I mean, it's we have a very versatile group, and so whatever needs to be done that day, 
our job description is you do whatever you got to do, period. <laughs> do you have a favorite time of year? Spring, when the colts are being born. Uh, calves are being born right now, too, and I love to watch them. But I think me, I, when those colts start hitting the ground, and they won't till the end, end of March. Okay, soon. Soon, very, very soon. soon. Yeah, you're about to be very busy. That's probably, and we do, and we start burning next month in March. We if we okay. get if it if it dries up enough, which I'm really scared to say that right now because <laughs> it's been we've had some rain, but mm. uh, we've got our fire guards in. But if we can get around, we'll start burning probably mid March. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastures we've got designated to burn. Yeah, and and like you said a little earlier, you know your your love is, you know, in the, the breeding side, right. And the, and the riding and the training. And, you know, that is, I think just knowing you for the short amount of time, if, if that's all you could do for the rest of your life, then you'd be totally content. Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I love the cows too. I yeah. do. And I, I really believe we're grass managers on top of that. And probably the one of the things I love the most is prowling these pastures, looking at the grass. And you can't, you can see a whole lot from the back of a horse. So I get horseback and I try to make it through as many pastures as I can at different times a year to see what is growing, to see what they are eating. Uh, we do, we have a rotational grazing program to some degree, not like a lot of other people do because water is our limiting factor. And we have to be real careful on herd size with the water available and up till when we start getting low on water it really limits some of the things we can do on time Mm. but i i firmly believe if you don't get in that pasture you don't really know what's going and you can't see it from a windshield you've got to get out and go through it so i'll take younger horses if i can um older horses that need ridden um whatever it does and we we start really trying to look at pastures i typically prefer a bit nice weather day <laughs> and i mean it's one of the most enjoyable things i do totally and just um yeah getting to see that and i don't get to go much in the spring because like when we start branding um, my days start with dr clark usually i'll pin the horses right at daylight I'll sort the mares off, then Dr. Clark and I will check everything that I should be checked that day. Um, He'll go on about his business. I'll keep all the mares up that will need to be bred that night. Then I'll meet the guys at the Brandon Pens with the medicine and everything so we can start working. But I don't get to go really on the drives, which it's just we all do so many different things. And it works out fine and trust me nobody wants to be in the breeding barn i mean i think if once i quit i don't know what's going to happen <laughs> because robert and clay both going we're going to either hire somebody or quit <laughs> nobody wants to do that but me but yeah. um i can sort my mares kind of gate cut them and i know those i mean i i know those mares so well it's um it's not that big a deal for me and i love doing it it's I really do, but I do enjoy the cows, and our cow herd's been here again, generational. We keep replacement heifers and selecting bulls that will improve. And I mean, we have we've been very fortunate. The buyers of our cattle are consistently here. They I don't have any trouble selling our cattle, and they've made a good reputation for themselves, and that's something we don't want to lose. 
So we work really, really hard at it. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit, just kind of touched on it, the animal care side of things. There's a lot more that goes into it than just obviously, you know, you and the dogs are just... Let's talk about that for a little bit. Because people probably don't realize it that much of what actually goes into really taking care of animals and, you know, everyone... They're different. You got to take care of them in front of them different ways. For, yes, I sir. Assume. You do, and we are. That is one of our. We do everything possible to keep that animal as healthy as they can by the time they get to the feedlot. So we have our vaccination protocol is designed by Dr. L. D. Barker at Newcastle, and at branding we have we vaccinate these calves we give them a shot of multimins which helps stimulate those vaccines but we try to do everything to keep that we can to keep those calves from getting sick to keep them as healthy as possible so at branding we have um, I've, it's gotten to the point where i give all the shots because i just i'm kind of ocd on that on top of that <laughs> i don't get to drag calves anymore but the medicine's so expensive, we give everything at a specific spot on that calf in front of the shoulder. So you have to be really careful where you put that shot so you don't mix vaccines. And um, my theory is if I take care of it, if it goes wrong, then it's all on me. And so I just do that myself. Um, I give a lot of shots every year, trust me. But I'm really... It's something that's extremely important to me because if we give those shots and they're not given properly, what good is it? Mm-hmm. And so we do, we brand them at that point in time. Uh, we castrate the bull calves. We will. We have chosen to. We've had horned Hereford cattle and Angus cattle are the two breeds we have, and we have found a. Uh, we started using polled Hereford bulls. From Ryan Top up in North Dakota, we think he has outstanding cattle, and we're so we're taking the horns off now, genetically, not with dehorners. But um, we do not, if we have heifers that come through, we don't dehorn our heifers. But um, not many horns anymore. We've really done it. We've we've about gotten rid of all of our horns, so that's a good thing. But those calves all go back on their mothers, and they will stay there till we start weaning in August. And typically, we've come through, we pre-vaccinate before we wean them. We give them all another round of shots. Um, Then we will, about two weeks later, we'll go ahead and wean those calves. Um, Weaning's been, after that, they go to grass pastures that we've kind of set aside for weaned calves. Um, Then we start preg checking cows. And all the cows are preg-checked. Preg-checked. If they are open, they don't get to stay. That they have to bring a calf, and we will sort our dries off as well. And they will also go to town. But we give we have a vaccination pro- protocol for that time. And I'm a big believer in multi-mens. So I we every time those cattle are in the chute, they get a multi-mens shot. They're dewormed, and um, then they'll go back out. And typically our Spring calves, spring calving cows will go to a big pasture that we can't feed in in the winter. It's just, if it gets muddy, we can't get in there. It's got adequate water and it's a big pasture, so we'll kind of hold them there and then start breaking them up, uh, oh, probably mid-December, and put them toward a pasture that they will calve in. 
But what we've done is stockpile the forage for that pasture for a year. So that instead of feeding hay, we have stockpiled forage on the ground. And so our winter supplements to care for those cattle is typically right now a DDG cube that we'll, we will supplement them with through the winter. The cattle are proud, they're looked at, they're fed. So if we see anything with a bad eye, and typically for us, bad eyes and, or pink eye, not is pink eyes and foot rots are our primarily, the only things we have to deal with. Very, very few respiratory issues, very few in, anything else. Um, so I think our pr vaccination protocol is working. Yeah. Is it... I'm sure there are obviously there's regulations around everything, right? But is there anything during your vaccination process that you go above and beyond? Like the regulation says, hey, you should do this. And you're like, yeah, but we're going to do extra because that's just how I want to do it. We've always done. I think we've always done shots in front of the neck, not back in the higher end cuts of meat. We've always tried to be really careful on where we put our vaccinations. So I'm not, I think... Today, a lot more people are aware of things like that than maybe used to be, but we try to do the best job absolutely possible, and I, I think that's why I take responsibility for doing it, because if it's not done correctly, it's on me, not anybody else, and I, I really take that seriously, and yeah, I cut myself off where I don't get to drag calves anymore, but, you know, priorities, right? <laughs> The, the other thing you mentioned is getting on horseback and going and checking the grass. I kind of, I mean, I'm a golfer, right? So I love good grass. And I've known more about grass coming out here than I did growing up in the UK because we think we have like one or two. And out here you seem to have a lot of different types of grass. But in the ranching sense and what the, you know, the cow's eating, why is that important? But also dive into kind of, you know, this is your land. You're taking care of this land. Right, you've taken care of this line for a very, very long time. Absolutely, and there's pride in that. So, tie in, I guess, why it's so important to see what the cows are eating because okay. that's fascinating. But also part of just, you know, it's our land. We want to take as best care of it as we, we can. I'm going to deviate just a tick. Yeah, because it's God's. Okay, <laughs> and we are stewards of His creation, and we believe that. Mm -hmm wholeheartedly. I, I, God said in Genesis to tend his garden. We take that seriously. We really do. Um, grasses. I think it is our responsibility to care for that using all the tools that we can. Mm -hmm. Prescribed burns. Spraying's gotten a little bit out of our budget now because the cost of spray is a little high. Uh, fertilizer's a little out of our budget now. But something that seems to be buzzing through the community is soil restoration. And I think we've always done that. We always want to put things back in a more productive way. Mm -hmm. Because if we care for the land, that will care for the cattle, and it all that will care for us. And because sustainability has kind of been a buzzword as well, the... Sustainability won't work unless you're making a profit. So we have to make money. We sure. have to, it costs to prescribe burn. It costs to spray. So things like that are the more productive we can make this land through our management techniques, rotational grazing, and the cattle can help us immensely. 
Because if we watch what they graze, when they graze these higher end plants, high cereal plants, down to a approximately 50% of those plants, you need to go on and move them because they're going to graze those better plants down to the ground before they start selecting some of those other plants. So there's times of year, like now we have winter grass coming. Well, they'll utilize that. And you, if you are able to push them through rotations, you can kind of get them to use what is growing at the time. Um, so knowing what they're eating and knowing what you've actually gotten at pasture, I mean, we've got some really, a lot of this country over here is what I call go-back land. A lot of it was cropped cotton, I mean, way before my time. So you still have terraces out in this uh, nine sections that I'm looking at out here. So that land's trying to come back, so you have to be really careful not to leave them in some of these pastures too long because the sure. forage isn't really very good there, but they will utilize it to some extent. So I think knowing what's out there and what you have left at the end of the growing season, what you're gonna stockpile through calving season um, helps manage your winter feed bill. So if we can have enough forage through there, we can feed these cattle a supplementation that may not take as much directly out of your pocket. A lot of our fields now, and we kind of mentioned the farming, we, we turned to a no-till system before we actually quit farming. And everybody in Jefferson County is correct. You cannot no-till out here. Terry was going to be hard-headed and say, yeah, you can. If anybody can do it, I can. Well, I failed miserably too, but it was great after a while, but we couldn't get, it didn't work after a while. So um, we've let, we've quit farming. And a lot of this country has gone back to Bermuda grass. And we are actually going to put some of it back into native grass. We're, we will start doing that this year. But unfortunately, since you can't, we can't afford to fertilize right now. A lot of these soils, if we can build them up, our goal will be to eliminate the spray and the fertilizer at some point in time. So, but there, even the, the weeds, weeds, forbs, cattle will eat them to some extent. Just to deviate a little bit, we have another large herd of Coriani cattle, and we have put them in a lot of rougher areas, and it's interesting to see, they're kind of like large goats. Yeah. So it's interesting to see what they will eat and what they've done as far as range management. So we've actually used our cattle, which we can source beef from, as range management tools. And so uh, I, I'm just gonna, I just have to say this, the ranchers are the best stewards of the environment. We know our country, we know our cattle, and it's, it is to our advantage to take care of our country. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, it's not going to sustain us. Yeah, I think, you know, it's not a surprise what you just said, you know, listening to you talk for a little bit now about, you know, faith is a huge part of your life. Huge. Where, do, where does that start and who, does, who introduces that into your life from, from an early age? My grandmother, probably. Okay. I think if I had to say somebody that had huge influence on my life, it would be my 
my grandmother, uh, both of them actually, but but especially my dad's mom. Um, I, she to me was an unbelievable lady. I raised took the reason she met my grandfather. She had taken two of her brothers to the city to get them an education, and she was working in at the insurance company, putting her two brothers through school when she met my grandfather. And her work ethic never wavered, ever. I mean, you know, she they became a little more affluent than she grew up, but she worked very hard and was a, just the kind of lady that I thought um, I wanted to aspire to be somebody of that integrity and who believed that strongly in values and right's right and wrong's wrong. And so she, she got, I went to church with her a lot, but I don't think that's really where, where I, be, where it became so strong. Um, I've always had, I've always, I mean, we were raised in a, as Methodist and, you know, every time there was anything happening, you've had lots of food on the table and everybody took food and I said, we still joke about that today. But um, I think for me, it really hit home when the bottom fell out of my life and it did. And I think I realized that when the bottom falls out of your life, you, you know, can't get any worse. Well, yeah, I can. Just hang on. <laughs> but at that moment, and, and there was one really specific moment in my life that I'll never forget it. And I thought it just can't get any worse. And the sunrise that morning was spectacular. I'd been up all night long and without going into a lot of detail and I've never seen anything like it. I can see it to this day. So I knew God was faithful, that he was there. The sun was going to come up every morning. So all I had to do was put one foot in front of the other and persevere. And I would get through it. I didn't know how. Didn't know how. Pretty sure it was not going to be easy. And I had no idea what was fixing to hit me. None. But I knew I could do it. And I think for me to know that things can get really, really bad, but I know I can get through it now. Mm -hmm. Not a problem. So I think that's good for all of us. Failure's good. Failure is an option. Because if you're not failing, you probably aren't trying. So I've never, I think failure is an extremely important part of success. And I'm not sure success, what that really means. I mean, it's, to me, it's a lot of different things, and I think it's kind of a journey anyway. But there were seven years that I was not really sure what would or wouldn't happen. And God put people in my life, circumstances in my life, just like the school it, that if you weren't paying attention, it just, it was miraculous. There's no doubt. And I've watched it now. I think that um, it's even gotten stronger. And 
I think I was, I'm always, I'm pretty hard-headed and stubborn and I can, I'm a controller, big time. And I think so much for me, life got so out of control that I became even more focused on what I could control. And I was catching a horse one morning, truthfully, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. You can't control this. You're just going to have to let it go, all of it. You know what? I can, and it's pretty good. And um, it was a year ago, a good friend of mine who just passed away, I had, God told me I needed to be baptized. With that, I would have been a Methodist, so we'd been sprinkled and all that. I've never had anything more, and um, I had a real good friend, and I was baptized in it. My life's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope and pray that I am always a strong advocate for our Lord. Where were you baptized? The Baptist Church here in Warica. Okay. Yeah, Ronnie turned the water on that the heater on the morning. Supposed to somebody kept turned and pulled the plug and took it off. We got there that evening and it was like ice. Yeah. Uh, but good friend of mine. I just it was. I've never had. I mean, I've had a lot of things that hit me really hard, big. But I had left the Methodist Church first because of some things that I don't believe that. I couldn't believe with them um, the things they were ex tolerating. Mm -hmm. So it took a while, but I, and I've not really gone anywhere, but I've been going to the Baptist church and our preacher there preaches original tent the Bible and that's where I'll stay for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I love like, you know, I didn't grow up in, you know, in, in, in a, in a, a family that my nan went to chapel for social reasons, just to hang out with her friends. Mum and dad didn't grow up in the church. I didn't. Um, but coming out here, you know, that's when I was really around it at the age of, you know, 21, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I wouldn't consider myself super involved, but just more aware of it. And speaking, you know, hearing stories like yours of others who have had that experience, who've gone through extremely tough times and have come out, you know, the other end of it. And just had that one morning or that one moment that, you know, like, like you just said, I can't control this. And it's that easy. It right? is that easy. But it's just taken however many years to get. I'm not going to tell you how old I was. Yeah, it's taken so long to get to that, which, you know, which is the tough part, right? Like, sure you know, it is. You know, and it's, and there's so many life lessons in that. And I think, you know, you being in, in the ranching business, um, you know, that there's so many life lessons in, even in just what you do as well. And then you couple that with, you know, faith and and you know, like like you just said it's not your land it's 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 you know god's land mm -hmm. and looking at it that way you look at it through a totally different eyes rather than no this is mine i own this no right it it's totally not. different totally different yeah. we're here for a short period of time and we've got a huge responsibility and we need to be accountable mm -hmm. and integrity is so much a part of my family mm -hmm. so much and we are i was taught you shake somebody's hand and you look them in the eye mm -hmm. and I still, this family will operate like that. Yeah. It, it, and even the thing that a little bit about just to that makes, doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it makes me 
I guess, yeah, sometimes it does make me uncomfortable because I didn't grow up in a family like that is when people older than me call me sir and you did it today and Clay did it too. And I'm like, I'm not like, it, I don't know. I just didn't grow up in a family that calls people, you know, I, 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 respe- I have a respect for girl, the older generation because I grew up playing golf with my granddad and all of his friends and I have everything I have in life I owe to the sport of golf pretty much. But it just, it may, I don't know what it is. It just makes, I'm like, why are you calling me sir? I'm, you know, I'm highly, I'm just a young person. Like, that's not how this should work, but obviously I appreciate it. It's just a thing that, I don't know, it just makes, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It just makes me sometimes uncomfortable when people call me You have to remember, sick. I grew up calling everybody Mr. and Mrs. And <laughs> True, you yeah. don't, you just, that respect yeah. is huge mm. in manners. Yeah. And we, I hope, and I mean, my grandkids too, it's, you will not be in this family and not have manners and have respect people. Yeah. You won't. It's, uh, or you'll be out at the woodshed. <laughs> There's plenty uh, of places that we can yeah, send to. <laughs> yeah. So I have a funny woodshed story. Yeah. My, one of my grandkids, uh, Clay Second, he's kind of a, he lives in his own world. <laughs> so... We call him Cookie, and the, there's kind of a backstory. on His name is Rogers Clay, but he became Cookie when he was born because his older brother had decided we were going to call him Cookie Dinosaur. So his name, we call, everybody knows him as Cookie. So that's, I have to explain that. So Cookie throws a piece of trash out, walks along, just chunks his, he was, had a drink. Chunk. I said, Cookie, go pick that up. And he gave me that. I don't have to do that look. And I said, I'm fixing to take you to the woodshed if you don't go get that piece of trash. Well, the week before we had been in Caddo, in the smokehouse I showed you, Mm -hmm. it's got bars on the windows. And so we got to talking about, they didn't really know what a woodshed was. And I said, well, this could be, they said, T, can this be a woodshed? And I said, this is the woodshed. So Cookie look, turns around and looks at me with all honesty and goes, T, are we going to Caddo? <laughs> and I did lose it, but yeah. So I now have to explain the woodshed could be anywhere. Could like be you anywhere. said, it could just, we may go out the back door, but yeah. do not do that. But What's it like being a grandparent? I mean, oh, it's and, the best gig ever. But, and also a grandparent <laughs> on a ranch too. Yeah, like they are, my grandkids are the seventh generation. Okay. I have four grandsons, and I'm going to have a granddaughter in June. I don't know what we're going to do with her. I imagine she's going to do with us what she thinks (laughs) is what I'm really thinking, because pretty sure she's going to rule the roost. But it's the—I wasn't always positive my boys would come home. Mm -hmm. I really thought they would be someplace else. Probably the greatest gift I've ever had in my life is for them to want to come home. And not only that, they've each made themselves a place. They didn't show up and say, you know, pay me, give me a job, pay me. No, they have each carved out their own spot and, and good spots. Um, so one thing that is part of our mission statement is that should the next generation, which would be my grandkids, want to come home, there's a spot for all of them. And that generational legacy for us is critical. We really, really mean so much to us, and we value that. And so 
I, and our kids may do something else, and that's fine, too. We will support them wherever they want to go. But should they want to come home, there's a spot. Yeah. Do you have any family traditions? Probably a lot, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> Things <laughs> that you can talk you, about. You know, one thing we one thing we 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 try to eat dinner after sometime on Sunday. We try to have family dinners, but everybody's getting so busy now; it's getting more difficult. We do. We've done a lot of things that we've done in the past. But one other one thing I kind of learned the hard way. Robert and Lauren were living in the big house in Caddo before we had our big 150th celebration. And every we got talked into going ahead and having a big party for that, which was, and it was really special. And they'd done a lot of things to the house, and all of a sudden I walked in there, and I'm thinking, no, we need to put it back like it was. Because I had so many memories in the house. That's where I grew up, and it's where we had our Thanksgivings, and so many things there. And I have to be honest with you, I got a little teary-eyed and a little sentimental. It it hurt. And all of a sudden, it just hit me that, no, wait, it's okay. Change is really, really good. In fact, we've got to embrace it because now we can make new memories. We can't, those, great, those old memories are great. We got them. But let's make new ones. Let's do things different. Let's keep traditions as long as the family's together, but let's build new ones too. Yeah, that's a, I mean, you're right. Like I, you know, you have so many memories of a place, right? And you go back and that's all you think, oh yeah, I'm just going to step back there. It's going to be exactly the same. And then you go in and someone's painted the walls white. And you think, <laughs> no. what have you done with my house? <laughs> Why? Or moved a chair or what have you done? You know, yeah. it, but it, it really was a wake up call because you can't go back. I mean, you, those are already locked in. Yeah. So one thing that I think has helped me in my life, I don't spend a lot of time on the past. I'm really sentimental, and I get corny, trust me. But it's all about what we're going to do tomorrow. If, you know, I, my daddy would say, well, you know, we've had horses that, I just used the horses for an example. We've been this, we've been, I said, nobody cares. Tomorrow, they will not remember. What are you going to do tomorrow? Where are you going to be? What you have got to keep knocking at that door. You've got to keep in front of everybody. You've got to do something different. And one thing we've done here, we diversified. We knew we could not sustain this place with just a cow-calf operation or run yearlings or whatever we did with the farming. We needed to grow. And so we now have grown a lot. We have the meat company. We have Bar S. Coriani Cattle. We have the lodge now, Stewart Ranch Outfitters. I, I, there's no telling where we're headed. Um, we probably have enough irons in the fire right now. We should at least get those hot. But um, it's, we, we have grown a lot. And I, I wonder if, I hope all those shoulders we're standing on are really proud of where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's all you can hope, right? Is the, the, the legacy that you leave and you look back down, you know, seven generations and more to come. 
and you know as well as the horses too right that correct because you know, that people you know they're going to go on and tell those stories of, of the horses that they might have seen that, that had these awards that were ridden or, or whatever i mean the tales will continue i hope it's so. just really cool to have that you know it's and and obviously you know we got little corgi running around under the table too right there's not just yeah. you don't just have a love for horses there's a, there's a little corgi running around here too and she's like, i think i've always been better with animals than people to be honest with you <laughs> my wife would probably agree with you on that because i think she's the same too she'd much rather cuddle with the dog than uh, go out and socialize i i have not i mean just back to the hall of fame i mean the fact that i did not have to socialize with anybody oh was wonderful <laughs> brenda shake <laughs> that's brilliant moving i guess to, to that point to the event side of things to the to the award side of things and 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 the fun side of things you know the one thing that that is also huge in in the ranching community, especially on the female side, is the fashion side of things. That's you've probably seen that grow over your time too, right? Monumentally. Like, what, what what has that been like for you to see? You know, now these you know the younger generation grow up and really get involved, not just in the pride of riding and and doing what they do, but also off the horse and and the event side and and the you know the the outfits because it's. It's huge business, too. It's huge. The retailers are doing wonderful. <laughs> I mean, there are more hat makers and boot sales and yeah. lots of turquoise jewelry out there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I really do. I think anything that recognizes our, our way of life has got to be positive. Because truthfully, we have a lot of negative things that come down the pike with us and regulations and things that it, it just seems like so often you're just looking at people that can't wait to take you out while you're putting food on their table. And uh, they become so critical of things that we do that are to their benefit. Mm -hmm. Because I think... As I said before, I mean, we, the ranchers are such good stewards. I mean, the guys up north right now are facing blizzards in Wyoming. And I can guarantee you they are not sitting by their fireplace drinking cups of coffee at all. I promise you they're not. They're busting ice and trying to get cattle fed. And if anybody's calving, I mean, it's just the, the conditions that we all face like the minus 20 two years ago here. I mean, it was all we could do to keep water in front of everything and cattle falling through the tanks. It was horrid. But, and it breaks your heart. It, I, I don't care what you have to see. It breaks your heart. And it's not just me. It's all of us out there. We care that much. So I, I anything that draws attention on a positive side... It's got to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever think about getting into the race side of things? Like the... Oh, I, no, I'd be broke. No? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all? No, I love it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I, not, it's, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. I, but, yeah, it's phenomenal. I, I remember as a kid, I, the Kentucky Derby was just, my grandmother got to go out to spin through farms and, she got postcards of citation and a lot of the old 
winters and I kept them in a little cigar box and flipped through them all the time. So yeah, it was I, awesome. I yeah. love every, I think if you are truly love the horse, you love every part about it. You can watch the hunters and jumpers and the dressage horses. And now that we've got the cowboy channel and we can watch that 24 hours a day, not, not, not that any of us do, but you, you can record stuff and watch it, you know. But it, uh, I mean, you watch the calf horses or the barrel horses and all those, there's so many tremendous athletes out there and it, do, it doesn't matter the discipline. If you love horses, you love it all. Yeah. You kind of talked about it earlier, but I mean, what, when someone says to you, you know, horses, what does the word horse or horses mean to you? Oh, hmm. vital, integral part of this operation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a revenue source. They are family in a lot of ways. They are a tool we use. I mean, we can't do any of our work without one. We, not any of it, but most of our work is done horseback as far as cattle are involved, horses involved. I mean, we pin our horses with horses and they're used in our business every single solitary day. So they are an extremely vital part of what we do here. Mm-hmm. Integral part. Yeah. And one thing, I mean, people who don't ride horses, but maybe never met a horse will know that they're can be stubborn, but also very smart as well. Oh, they're so very they got, smart. They got personality. They very and the quirkier they are, probably the more talented they are. It's uh, lots of personalities on some of them. They really do. And I think one discussion I had with my son Robert, who's a tremendous horseman, tremendous. He, uh, when we had a stallion here, and some of those colts were not really easy to get along with. And I told him at one point in time, I said, Robert, if you were training for the public, you could send a lot of these horses home you don't like. But we can't send them home. They're home. So you have to figure out where they fit. They're not all cow horses. They're not all rope horses. They're not all, some of them are trail horses. It, it doesn't matter. But as a horseman, you need to figure out where this horse fits and where we need to marketing. Yeah. And he did. He has. It's been a journey. Again, I kind of threw him to the wolves, but he uh, he's learned a lot. And his dad was a, an extremely good horseman as well. So I think a lot of it's genetic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is or isn't, but he didn't know his dad, but it's, yeah. uh, it is, uh, he was a good horseman as well. He's got a gift. He got, does. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, I think a lot of it's patience. I don't have patience. I don't think I'd be good at it. But then you got to be able don't to Don't pray for patience goals. because, trust me, everything that happens <laughs> will require patience. <laughs> I've tried that one before. <laughs> oh, brilliant. The other, the other few questions I have, and it, you know, I really appreciate your time here, is that um, you, know, you have the beef side of the business, right? Now that's kind of recent recently, not meaning super recent, but it's another arm, and like you mm-hmm. mentioned, diversifying. What's that been like getting into, you know, the beef business in Oklahoma, and is there anything that you ended up learning that you just had no idea about, or stuff that's a misconception that you got into? Looks great on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a winner. We've learned a lot. 
We have learned a whole lot. Uh, we really had our first ideas to present this prior to COVID, but we got hit with COVID. Um, originally, we were just going to do ground beef. Um, we took, when we did have, well, let me back up just a little bit. We were just going to do brown, ground beef. Our processor only had a state inspector on Fridays. So we got every Friday we could with the numbers we could get, and we could get no more than two. Well, the grocery stores in Warica and Walters, Stan needed beef. I mean, it was beginning, we couldn't, it was begin, beginning very difficult to even get uh, commodity beef or anything down into a lot of the grocery stores at that time. Y'all may have recollected some of that. So we started furnishing the grocery stores beef uh, four head a week. And so they killed. They had their theirs killed on Fridays, and we could only get certain other days. So that slowed us down a lot because of the kill factor. We have plenty of cattle. That's not ever been an issue, and we were actually feeding them here at that point in time. Well, we've grown a lot. We've changed a lot. We have um, been able to establish a good relationship with the the packing house we used. But we had a lot of roast left over. So that led us to how do we increase the value, use our roast, and, and ground beef as well, which led to our jerky and beef sticks. And so we've tried to learning curve all the way, but they've been extremely successful for us. Um, there's some things on the horizon right now that I probably am not going to just share right now because it's not really out there, but we have some real, we have, have gotten into some really big opportunities, I think. And, and let me mention this. Um, to, to a year ago, I believe, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, I had the opportunity to sit with Rhonda Hooper at from Jordan Advertising. I was asked to do a talk to the Oklahoma City Economic Club. Not sure why they picked me, but anyway. <laughs> I was there, and I was going to talk about agriculture. And um, Rhonda and I visited, and I just, we had, for 10 years, the boys and I could not find somebody that would see our vision, that would see what we wanted to do marketing. And because we can produce, we, I'm a producer. I am not a marketer at all. I will tell you that up front. I'm, I can pick stalls better than I could probably market something. But we tried social media people. We tried some different website people. And nobody really could grasp what we wanted to do. So Rhonda said, you know, let, let's look at it. Because I asked her, I said, I wasn't sure whether we could even afford an advertising agency. Pretty sure we couldn't, but that was, who cares? You know, let's dive off into this, Terry, like you usually do. <laughs> so anyway, they came down with a team and wanted to help us. Best investment we have ever made, ever. Um, love our team love working with them, and they've taken us places that we only dreamed of going. So with our affiliation with Jordan Advertising, I think the only limiting factor we have is when we decide to say, maybe that's enough. Yeah. 
it's so exciting and so, um, I, I just, I can't thank, I mean, it's was a great decision. But for instance, our beef sticks and jerky are in the Welcome Centers in Oklahoma now. Um, they're doing a lot with what our new vision might be here shortly, helping us to, to get to that. So it, I, I just, I'm so excited about where things are going, but tough? Yes. Uh, learned a lot? Oh my goodness. It, uh, as I said, it looks great on paper, and, but the way we did it and the way we wanted to do it, I think, uh, as I said, it's, it's going to happen, mm -hmm. but it didn't happen overnight. Yeah, a lot of logistics stuff you oh probably my didn't goodness. expect. <laughs> yeah, it just, and you, you, Robert really did the, the legwork on this, but as I said, I mean, we had legal pads through biz, uh, business plans and scenarios and what happens here, and still it all looked, and I'm, and it's been good, but not quite to that point, but I think we're ready to take to take that next step, and it will. All the meat here in the lodge is being is from our, our meat company. We're dry aging all the steaks. If you come hunt with us, you get one steak night. So we are um, offering that here as well. We've had some restaurants contact us. We aren't quite ready for them yet, but. It's ongoing conversation, and I, I, our dreams are big, yeah. and we want to be the best that there is in what we do, and so we're going to work hard to get there. It's super exciting. You probably oh, didn't think you'd have, you know, growing up or being out here, you probably think that's the last thing we want to be doing is supplying restaurants with great steaks. I, I, that's why we don't limit ourselves to what we can do. We don't, and I, I think that's one thing I learned early on. Always keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Always think out of the box because it is those years and those times when adversity really hits that if you pay attention, there's opportunity. I, one of my favorite quotes was Vince Lombardi, luck is preparation for opportunity. Totally. If you're not prepared to go through that door when it opens, it may never open again. So you have to be prepared. You have to learn. You have to educate yourself and be the best you can be at that point in time. So when that opportunity or luck comes along, there's no luck. It's, it's preparation mm -hmm. and hard work. Do you have a favorite cut of meat? Oh, yes, ribeyes. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt, I'm a ribeye person. Love a ribeye. How do you prepare your ribeye? Uh, lately, uh, Chef Robert Forrest, <laughs> he is, uh, Bart Likes, who is our chef here at the lodge, mm -hmm. um, has a restaurant in Arkansas, Old Bart Southern Eats. He got us doing the sous vide mm -hmm. and then grilling afterwards. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm a bona fide ribeye person. I think that's the best. <laughs> but he's done some tenderloins and thing, and so I'm pretty much. And you can't beat a good hamburger. Period. <laughs> Is there a person on earth that will not take a good hamburger? 
is it a special seasoning? Are you just salt and pepper? I mean, um, we are creating our. It's not ready yet, mm-hmm. but we are creating one of uh, a seasoning for the meat company. So, yeah. hide and watch. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> Coming soon. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. I do have one last question, and since you're a proud graduate of Oklahoma State, um, what does the cowboy code mean to you? I think that my my take on Oklahoma State, even going in there, you walk onto that campus and you feel like you're at home. There's such a family atmosphere up there, and if I am big on family. Family is the most important thing next to God in my life. But to have that camaraderie at Oklahoma State, I think that is, and even with the alumni, as you go forward, that feeling of unity, of camaraderie, of uh, I still want to believe morals, principles that come through the College of Agriculture. Quick story about that. Um, when Clay went to Oklahoma State, he was going to the College of Business, but we happened to go through the, you know, with the freshmen, they have all the colleges in there. And so whomever was running the College of Agriculture that day stopped us and visited with us while the College of Agriculture now had a business option. So Clay took that, but what the most important thing that was said to me that day is anybody that comes to hire comes to the College of Agriculture for one reason, because at that time, most of the students there knew how to work, and they had a work ethic. And I think that's um, what I hope in the Cowboy Code means, is that we graduate it's still there, the work ethic this state was built on, that this country was built on, is still alive and well. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, I do, I always say this, I have one last question and I end up asking two. Um, if you could choose, jumping on a horse, would you rather watch the sun rise or sunset? Rise. Always? Always between a horse's ears. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for welcoming us into you know the lodge and, and showing us around. Um, it's fantastic, and I'm sure the hunters that come here have a great time. And love the rooms, you know, each theme. Love the history that you have. Love the, I love your love for family and you know the the legacy that you have, and not just through the horses, um, but, you know, with grandkids coming along the way and the stories that you're going to develop and the houses you have and, you know, the 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 care that you take of, of the land as well. You know, it's um, not, you know, I, I coming down here, me and Brenda were talking and she's like, you're going to have a great time. Terry's great. You're going to love it. <laughs> and I see why. So thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for it. coming. Yeah. I've been fun. And for people listening, I will put all the links to the beef business, the outfitting business in the description, the Instagram, all of that stuff. So you can go see that. Um, And yeah, we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, 
amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them, do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, uh, third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit oklabeef.org. That's oklabeef.org, linked below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.